ending nice and tidy it's a rule i learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I am in the midst of the work of Annie Sexton, one of the great poets. I call them the suicide blondes, the women who crashed out in the, well, 50s, 60s, 70s, in the middle of the 20th century. I think of them as certainly not martyrs, but uh, sacrifices, perhaps. Uh, the, what is it, the great awakening of feminism, very romantic uh, <laughs> renaissance it was, uh, came about in those days, but not all women survived. The women my age, um, many of them did not live uh the suicides, the suicide blondes, the, uh, the stars of that movement were Sylvia Plath and Annie Sexton. And I have so many, so many bits and pieces of Sexton's, oh, the poems, the letters, and the, the work itself is m- much more to the point. The, uh, there's one great biography by... Uh, uh, Diane Middleton, which I might, uh, if I have time, I will read you some little excerpts, but we've only got a half an hour. I wanted to uh, read you, first of all, a poem by Annie Sexton hmm, called Briar Rose. She writes, I must not dream, for when I do, I see the table set and a faltering crone at my place, her eyes burnt by cigarettes as she eats betrayal like a slice of meat. I'm going to read that again. I, I, uh, I think of it as a kind of zen slap. Uh, nobody wanted to hear this not just this anger, but this uh, this cry. Uh, the poem is called Briar Rose, and Anne Sexton writes, I must not dream, for when I do, I see the table set, and a faltering crone at my place, her eyes burnt by cigarettes, as she eats betrayal, like a slice of meat. 
Now, it's one thing for a woman my age, 85, to be writing poetry like that, for, but for a beautiful woman in her 40s, uh, <laughs> yes, Sexton killed herself in her mid-40s, uh, perhaps now, if she had gotten old and truly become a crone, that is, a woman of age, wisdom, and power, uh, things might have been different. Uh, now, when she killed herself, that is, at the age of 45, uh, apparently she knew that if she had not found erotic justice by then, by her mid-40s, it wasn't likely to come along later. <laughs> her one affair with another woman was not a great success, apparently. Uh, I have some notes on that, but... I thought, actually, that Annie Sexton was more, well, I don't know what, I don't like to compare myself to the great poets, but I did feel more, uh, I don't know what is the word, not exactly like her, but her um, her promiscuity seemed more much more familiar to me. Sylvia Plath, on the other hand, was this great bitch goddess. One betrayal was enough to kill her, but uh, in both cases, the poetry... Their poetry is about passion, uh, as in the passion of Christ. Uh, it's the passion, well, passion means suffering, literally. Uh, erotic justice, erotic justice for women, the revolution of touch. Annie Sexton wrote that touch is all, she wrote, uh, touch is all, Zing a resurrection. She wrote in a letter to a friend saying how much she loved, loved life, but couldn't live it. She goes on to write about being outside. Uh, it's like Place the Bell Jar, uh, unable to connect. Uh, I wonder why these women felt this way. I think perhaps because their existence was denied on many levels. Uh, <laughs> there is no erotic justice for most modern women. Well, at least uh, there hasn't been. Now, uh, I'm only talking about Western, Western culture. Uh, in our culture... Eros is the life force. It's a life force everywhere. Some people are able to embrace it. Uh, others are not. We live in a death culture. And uh, for this reason, the erotic is denied us. Ours is the age of Thanatos. Now, Annie Sexton did not want to die. She wanted to live. She said so. Here's what she says here. I think of this as oh, reminiscent of the witch burnings. Mm, a poem called Her Kind. I have gone out a possessed witch, haunting the black air, braver at night, dreaming evil. I have done my hitch over the plain houses, light by light. Lonely thing, 
twelve-fingered out of mind. A woman like that is not a woman quite. I have been her kind. I have found the warm caves in the woods, fill them with skillets, carvings, shelves, closets, silks, innumerable goods, fixed the suppers for the worms and the elves, whining, rearranging the disaligned. A woman like that is misunderstood. I have been her kind. I have ridden in your cart, driver, waved my nude arms at villages going by, learning the last bright route survivor where your flames still bite my thigh and my ribs crack. Where your wheels wind, a woman like that is not ashamed to die. I have been her kind. Poems by Annie Sexton, born nineteen twenty-eight, nineteen seventy-four. Yes, died nineteen seventy-four. Aha. Uh-huh. I believe carbon monoxide poisoning. I have this poem and others <laughs> in a file called Witch Burnings. Now, it's always a question of which witch. <laughs> my favorite, or one of my favorite Annie Sexton uh, pieces is called The Letting Down of the Hair. I think because it reminds me very much of Samuel Beckett in bits and place, bits and pieces, uh, she seems to be, she seems to be living in this stone room right along with Sam. Uh, let me read you a little bit of the letting down of the hair. Uh, it's about her isolation and uh, the fact that most of her connections are by by mail. She gets a lot of letters. Uh, mm-hmm. The letting down of the hair, she writes here in my room. I have my hair to care for. In the soap stone sink, I wash from 9 to 11.45 in the morning. Washerwoman, washerwoman, you make yourself dizzy. Washing this hair is a dance, a dance to be done at dawn. There is so much hair, so much sucked up honey that I must wash it in sections. The room becomes clammy like a sea cave, never dry. I'm standing in my bare feet, dipping up and down over the sink, probing the mystery. The parts that are washed sit in coils on the floor. <laughs> they wait patiently. It is like trying to wash seagrass. It is cumbersome and arduous, and yet it is my work 
in life. Then, as the clock tower chimes 12 noon, I carry it back and forth, over to the window, section by section, hang it out the window to slap down the five stories onto the ground. I let it out to dry. I let it out to give it a life of its own. At first, it hangs there like a rope. It hangs there like old yellow cereal that no one will eat. Then, if there is a hopeful wind, the breeze takes it. Hair by hair, yellow by yellow. As it dries, it is owned by the wind. As it dries, it moves swiftly like a thousand minnows. And later, when I bring it in, it lies on the stone floor like wheat in a granary. Over the years, people have gathered to watch it fall down and dry out. They call out just as the clock strikes twelve. Lady, lady, let down your hair. I'm becoming a tourist attraction. There's nothing I can do about it. The Grey Line bus arrives daily with a taped recording of facts, usually false, about what I do and who I am. And then there is the college crowd who seem to have adopted me and one obese woman who comes each day and beats out with a stick at the children who reach for the hair and want to tug it. The people have become very devoted <laughs> or very disgusted. They often write to me. I don't answer them, of course, for my hair cannot speak. And it is the hair they write to. Fifty letters came just last week in response to a TV crew that came out on Monday to film the letting down of the hair. Here is a sampling of last week's letters. <laughs> Concord, New Hampshire. Dear Lady of the Hair, Your hair is haunting and moving. I love it. I couldn't see your face uh, on our 18-inch screen, but I could see your hair. I could see your lovely old Victorian house. But the psychologist on the show this morning said that perhaps for you, death was the key. He said that your long hair is a symptom of a phobic fear of death. Don't you know that we go on to a larger life? Don't you know that there is no such thing as death? There is only change. 
Dying is a glorious experience for the one it happens to, and even for those left behind for a while, it is glorious if we have true understanding yours sincerely. Beatrice Engel. Dear Crazy Hair, Please help to make the world saner, not crazier. It's bad enough as it is. God bless you and help you. You need help. Unsigned. New York, New York. <laughs> Dear matchmaker, uh, Joel and I met at your hair up there in Mass. Joel came out from Harvard every week of his senior year. Now we are living together in New York. Last week he wrote a poem to your hair, but he won't send it. I wish I could write. I'm quite illiterate and have no idea how I passed third grade. Sometimes I think that Joel loves me. Sometimes I think he loves you. I wish I were you. I wish I were my doctors or my uh, OTs or my teachers or my doctor's wives or you. Do you know, when I was, I guess, around six, 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 I looked at my Siamese cat and said out loud, I wish I was you. You're so beautiful. And you don't have to wear any clothes. Peace. Susie Perlmutter, San Francisco, California. <laughs> uh, dear lady, Jesus, how do you do it? Ten times enough times for the entire universe. And that same feel of the old solar plexus refuses to give up. Yes, wham, right there, right in the old solar plexus again. You are so beautiful. I want some of that beautifulness. And I wanted it since a year ago when I first found you. After last Saturday in Boston... And seeing you again, I wanted it specially badly. And today, I want it even more. Lady, can you spare a dime of yourself for Mary Jane? <laughs> the next section of Annie Sexton's... Uh, essay, uh, The Letting Down of the Hair. You know, The Letting Down of the Hair footnote is a reference to her efforts to let down her psyche, her soul, her, uh, her thoughts to send her poetry out into the world. Let it all hang out. Anyway, this section is called Letters from Ruth. Today's mail brought a letter from Ruth. 
a letter and a crucifix. It is a letter about Christ and the awful mystery. It is a letter about the sickness unto death. I have found Christ, she writes. Hours on my knees in mental prayer. All my life I have lived in shadow. P.S., she added, I've even discovered what your hair means. It is a parable for the life of a poet. (laughs) Strange. There beside the Buddha, my little Zen Ruth. There beside that great green baby, that passive God-face Christ, and the place, place of thy tent. She had enlarged once more, and the crucifix was wooden, and with teeth marks on it. The greyhound puppy, of course. (laughs) I could hear her saying, yes, it's the greyhound puppy. Ah, teeth marks. My dog is Christian, too, she writes. Ruth has Christ, and I, I have only my hair. Am I like a poet? I mean to ask her about that. The next section is the sickness unto death. Uh, My hair is almost washed. The people are waiting down below and calling out for me. Just as I am carrying it over, my brother opens the trap door and speaks. He speaks for the first time in all these years. It's bad news, he says quietly. I stand very still, tangled in the midst of the hair. Ruth's cousin just called. She's dead. She killed herself. First she hung the dog, and then she hung herself. I'm silent, and then I say, Thank you for telling me, and he closes down the trap door. The sickness unto death. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Ruth dead, Ruth gone. The dog hung up like a piece of meat in a butcher shop. Ruth hung up like a thief. This change, this awful change... And I, with the letter she wrote just five days ago, 
and the crucifix from her puppy's mouth. The clock strikes twelve. I just stand here. It's too late now. I wanted to ask Ruth what my life meant. Ask her about my tent. Ask her about the parable. Now there is no one to ask. There are the people down below calling up. Lady, lady, let down your hair. But I could hardly ask them. <laughs> I have many pages here. I uh, put Annie Sexton next to Sylvia Plath, who is perhaps the more famous of the two poets. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to save Plath for a whole show of her own. Sylvia Plath uh, is exactly my age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two children born exactly the same two two years there uh-huh ah uh, now the thing is that <laughs> Sylvia Plas managed to marry Ted Hughes who finally became the poet laureate of England and uh he is now also uh <laughs> Undergoing change, yes, undergoing change in another life. Uh, I I was trying to read the poems that he decided could be published after his death, but I didn't find them all that interesting for some reason. Uh, of course, we're all impressed because he was the poet laureate of England for so many, many years. Uh, my favorite note in all my notes about Sylvia Plath is this one. Now, you will remember that Sylvia Plath put her head in the oven, the gas oven, in order to end her life. She left little breakfast treats, I think, bread and butter and milk, uh, where the children could reach them by the door. Uh, very, very small children, actually. I've always wondered how she had the temerity to turn the gas on when they were all alone in the house. Never mind, never mind. Uh, my note here, <laughs> Ted Hughes, who was reported, purported to be very much into the occult, many books written on that subject, one called Rough Magic, I hope to have time to uh, read to you from that book. But my most favorite note on Ted Hughes is that he did not, or would not, we don't know, pay the gas bill, the last gas bill, uh, the one <laughs> that provided the gas for Sylvia to use uh, to end her life, yes, pay that gas bill if they're gonna go going never mind never mind it is not good it is not good to make uh what is it slighting remarks about the tragedies of life they are all dead serious yes dead serious uh last night i got the the giggles and i was trying to put together uh, some very pedantic thoughts about the life of the poet, the parable of the poet, 
And then I remembered that the essential ingredient, not only for uh, art, but for survival, the survival of the poet, that is to at least grow old, is that the poet have a terrific sense of humor. I found a very comic poem by Samuel Beckett, and I'm going to save it. Save it for next time. Sam Beckett was very, very old when he died. And he was very, very funny. The older he got, the more absurdist and funny he was. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Walk in light, light em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow.